welcome to the second episode in this podcast series from the Linklater's Employee Incentives Team. I'm Kaylee Jones, an associate here in the team in London. And I'm Ben McCarthy, also an associate in the team. Our theme so far in this series has been the key patrons in the current corporate governance landscape for public and private companies. Today, we'll continue to look at the developments that have impacted remuneration disclosures, this time looking at corporate governance for large private companies. In our first podcast, we looked at the legislative changes which came in from the 1st of January 2019, requiring an enhanced disclosure on corporate governance for listed companies. At the same time and in the same vein, the government legislated for large private companies. Thanks, Kayleigh. And this was an important development for corporate governance in private companies, also for financial years starting from 1st of January 2019. Large unlisted companies have to report in the annual report and on their website their corporate governance arrangements. The legislation says that corporate governance statements should explain which, if any, corporate governance code the company applies, how the company applies it, and if the company departs from the code, in which way it departs from it and why it does so. The government then asked Sir James Waits, the chairman of Waits Construction, to lead a coalition group of industry and wider society bodies to develop specific corporate governance principles as a code of practice for large private companies. Yes, and this resulted in the Waits Principles for Corporate Governance in Large Private Companies report published in December 2018. And as it says on the tin, these principles are meant to help companies with their new reporting obligation. It's important to note that the weights principles aren't mandatory. Companies are therefore free to report on compliance with reference to another code or report without reference to a code, although they would have to explain why they're not using a code. For example, a subsidiary of a listed company which has to report on its own corporate governance arrangements may choose to report against the corporate governance code only or a combination of weights and the corporate governance code. But it does make sense to use weights as a benchmark for private companies. And I think the weights principles have already gained traction as a main code which private companies are likely to use. The intention, to quote Sir James Waits, is for this to be a tool to help large private companies look themselves in the mirror to see where they've done well and where they can raise their corporate governance standards to a higher level. Here, as you can tell, we're we're back to that theme of transparency bringing about change. But in a way, the transparency here is inward facing. But remember, this only applies to large private and unlisted public companies. So they only have to publish a corporate governance statement if they either have more than 2000 employees or, and their second condition has two limbs, have turnover over 200 million pounds and a balance sheet total of over two billion pounds. Right, so really the weights principles are kind of a short and high level code, which is helpful and of course aimed to suit private companies better than the corporate governance code. Each principle is accompanied by guidance, but there are no provisions which must be specifically complied with or reported against. An indication of how they aim to suit private companies is they operate on a apply or explain basis. That's apply or explain. So this is clearly a softer approach than the codes comply or explain basis. So on the actual content, the principles cover aspects such as board composition, director's responsibility and remuneration. 
So let's fast forward to February 2021, when Sir James Waits then issued an open letter on the first reporting by large private companies on their corporate governance arrangements. The reporting was mostly done against the Waits principles. So the letter acknowledges that private company corporate governance reporting is at an early stage, and because of the COVID-19 pandemic and filing extensions, there were not as many company reports as would ordinarily appear. But Waits said there was still a sizable body of reports to see some trends. Thanks, Ben. So I'll just draw out some of the interesting findings from the letter. The letter said that some companies have really grasped the spirit of the Waits principles. This has been shown in good quality reporting that's accessible and understandable. There were also some good explanations of how the principles are applied and how governance arrangements work. Waits cited the reports of Alliance Holdings UK, Heathrow, Jaguar Land Rover and Tata Steels as examples. As the principles should be a guide to self-improvement, in the letter, Waits commends Tata Steel for reporting on this, for example, changing its remuneration committee's term of, terms of reference. Some wholly owned subsidiaries of listed companies, for example, Northern Rock and Mercer UK, didn't just refer to their parents' corporate governance standards, but commented about applying the Waits principles at subsidiary level. The letter noted that illustrative examples, graphs and charts help to give detail to any narrative on applying the principles. Chanel, Edgerington Group and Jaguar Land Rover are praised for this. On detail, Waits showed an appreciation for the fact that it's tricky to decide how much to put in the corporate governance report. Companies want to keep it short, but give enough information to show that governance is taken seriously. Waits says cross-references can help, and once you're onto the second year of reporting and onward, you could just focus on the changes. At the other end of the spectrum, there are some unfortunate examples of a minimalist approach. One company included only one sentence on the subject of risk and opportunity. This starts to feel like box ticking and doesn't inspire confidence. A similar point was made in the FRC review we discussed in the first podcast. Remember, you can go back and listen to that episode at your leisure. As with compliance with the Corporate Governance Code, companies are struggling to identify and report authentically on their purpose. Waits said some reporting sounds like marketing material, whereas the letter highlights that companies should go further than that, like including specific examples of how purpose has actually guided board level discussions and decisions. My final point to draw out from the letter is that corporate governance reports are not always easy to find on companies' websites. Waits emphasises that the reports are intended for all stakeholders and not just for the experts. So he clearly expects improvement here. Thanks, Kayleigh. And Waits considers that as companies become comfortable with the process of applying the Waits principles as part of board meetings, the quality of reporting will improve. So again, To mirror the FRC report in relation to listed company governance, this letter will be key reading for those considering corporate governance in a private company context. We'll be watching with interest. And if you would like to discuss your corporate governance arrangements and the statements you will need to make, please do get in touch with us. Definitely, Ben, I'll echo that statement. For our keen listeners, a heads up for our next podcast. In episode three, Marit and Ben look at four different areas of recent focus in governance and executive pay. Thanks, Kaylee.